Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host. <laughs> I mean, look, look at the one on the right. Do you have to Would, make faces when you take selfies? Wait, one more now. Oh, there you go. Better angle. Oh, check it. Did that come out okay? That's the best one of the 300 pictures I've taken look, of myself like, today. Every girl in the picture is locked into her phone. Oh, Lord. Every single one is dialed in. Welcome to parenting in 2015. <laughs> They're all just completely transfixed by the technology. Michael Preston. See, that's what happens when you have baseball games in Arizona while ASU's in session. You get a bunch of sorority girls taking selfies at the ball game, and then you catch them on the Diamondbacks broadcast, and Steve Berthume has a get-off-your-lawn moment. <laughs> that's what's going on there. Alpha Chi Omega, is that how you say Chi Omega? I don't know, I wasn't in the Greek system. But uh, enjoy the ball game. That's like the, I'm like the one thing I'm an old man about is when you're at a sporting event, enjoy the sporting event. Don't take selfies. I'm guilty of tweeting at many of them, but I don't know. Don't take a picture. I know I'm being contradictory. I don't care. Welcome to the Kook Center Hour. We took a week off with the football team. I think everybody deserves a week off during the football season, and we were happy to take one. We'll get to... Uh, what we did with our week off later on during our Dunderhead of the Week, and actually, trust me, it applies here because I, my wife and I, quick preview, went to Las Vegas after going to a friend's wedding in southern Utah, and uh, really the rudest question I've ever heard asked of anybody, I heard in a relatively nice steakhouse there that we had had some gift, certific gift certificates at uh, to use, so uh, that's a, uh, oh boy, a little surprise. We are uh, at the quarter pole for Washington State University's football season. So, quarter of the way done, three games in, setting it two and one. And I certainly don't think uh, we got there how we were quite expecting to get there. Now, did we with a loss to Portland State? That certainly uh, was not what anybody was expecting to see in terms of uh, getting this team to three and one. I thought they would probably lose to Rutgers. They didn't, and I didn't think they'd lose to Wyoming, and they certainly didn't do that either. But I think the evaluation at this point uh, has to be, you got to be a little underwhelmed by everything, don't you? I mean, Luke Falk is is having a good year statistically. He's only thrown the one interception, so he's not turning the ball over. And as I've said before, I don't think he's doing anything that would necessarily mean that he needs to go to the bench in favor of Peyton Bender. He's not doing things that you know, would force him to need to not be running this offense anymore. He's not turning the ball over, which is pretty much the, it, it is the big thing when it comes to quarterbacks getting benched is if you turn the ball over, you're going to find yourself riding the pine. He's not doing that. He's only thrown one interception. Is that number likely to go up in Pac-12 play? Yeah, probably because he just hasn't been playing very good teams in the, in the uh, non-conference schedule. But again, it comes back to the, taking so much time in the pocket, not throwing guys open, that type of thing that is leading me to wonder where the Luke Falk of last year against Oregon State went. I don't think we've ever seen a better debut out of a quarterback than we did in that game. I mean, he, he looked the part of a guy who's been in the air raid for a few years and not just learning it, but having been played in it, even though he hadn't been. And it was probably unreasonable, I think we could say, looking back at it, at it to expect that level of excellence from him week in, week out, and to maybe have anointed him the 
the next king of this offense so quickly after one game. So probably a bit unfair on our part from that standpoint, but I think certainly what you would expect more from him after about half a season's worth of games is to have those concepts down a little bit better. Is he going to get better throughout the year? Yeah, probably. It's just frustrating in those non-conference games where really you should see him tear up defenses for really long plays. There have only been a couple of really long plays this year, and that's part of what's kind of disappointing is you've only really seen a couple of really long plays. That long one-handed touchdown grab by Dom Williams, probably the most notable one. So you're wondering where those big explosive plays are that we've seen in the past. I think those will probably come, and he's had a bye week to study game film, and there's one thing the coaches have said about Luke Falk. What separates him from Peyton Bender and the other quarterbacks is his studying, is how much time he spends in the film room and how much time he spends studying everything. So from that standpoint, he's very well prepared. So we'll see where he goes uh, this week against Cal, certainly another good defense to pick on. In fact, he's going to get two two weeks in a row with Oregon next week. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. We're going to talk about that later. Um, but he's going to get two in a row to pick on. Cal's passing defense or defense is getting more turnovers this year, much like Washington State. They're improving on that front, but they're still not a very good passing defense. So you, you're going to get two defenses this week that – are particularly good at defending the pass, and I th- there's no way this game doesn't take four hours, right, at this point, with all these incomplete passes. But now a quarter of the way through the season, and the other thing we finally got was we got a, kind of an inspiring uh, performance from the defense, didn't we? I After Wyoming scored those 14 points in the first quarter, they didn't score again. They were done. The defense shut them down. I mean, I that was a really impressive performance from the defense in the second half. And I know it's Wyoming, and I know they're not a very good football team. And I totally get that. But we hadn't seen Washington State's defense adjust at halftime to anything. Portland State ran all over them in the second half. Rutgers was moving the ball a lot better in the second half. And some of that has to do with the kick returns for touchdowns. I totally get that. But even on offense, they were moving the ball better. They were moving the ball much better after halftime against the Washington State defense. Wyoming did hardly move the ball at all after halftime. The defense looked great. And how often can we say it was the offense that needed to do something to win the football game? How often over the last few years have we complained that it's the defense? Come on, guys. You got to do something, anything to win this football game. And they hadn't. How often have we said that? And finally, it's the defense that steps up and wins a football game for them. So from that standpoint, it's encouraging. I still think you have issues on the defensive line. They're not getting uh, maybe as much push up front as you might like. Destiny Viao's having a heck of a year. But outside of that, everybody kind of needs to step up and start pushing around offensive linemen. I think you have an opportunity to do that against Cal this weekend when you have uh, left and right tackle issues for the Golden Bears and you have a offensive line that's not quite giving up as many, it's not giving up or excuse me, is giving up more sacks than WSU's offensive line. So there's an opportunity to put Jared Goff on the turf. But the biggest thing Washington State needs to do against Cal this weekend is you got to tackle. Got to tackle. The tackling against Wyoming was reminiscent of the early Paul Wolf days. And that's awful. 
And if you watched any of that Cal Washington game on Saturday, which I didn't because I was traveling, but I probably wouldn't have anyway because there were a lot of other better games on. But the one thing you heard from reporters after the game that you heard them report from the coaches was that the tackling was atrocious. Then Christian Capel reported that uh, the defensive coordinator said something like 30 missed tackles. 30. That's awful. You, you aren't going to be able to get away with that against Cal's offense, against Daniel Lasko, who should be back this week, against Kenny Lawler, against Bryce Treggs. And Avinash Kunath, who's coming up here in a little bit uh, to talk about Cal, will tell you that. Those guys are arguably some of the best athletes in the Pac-12. And Cal, you know, for as good as WSU's ride-receiving core is, Cal's is arguably up there, if not better. And Jared Goff, I think, and I will heap praise on him here in a few minutes during this interview, I think he's the best quarterback in the conference. I I, I don't think there's a better one. Cody Kessler's probably the only other one you could really make a case for, but I think Goff's better. I would rather have Jared Goff than any other quarterback in the conference, and you'd be hard-pressed to find a quarterback I'd rather have in the country. I mean, he is that good. If he doesn't leave after this year for the NFL draft, then I'm going to be really scared for next year when he's a senior. So, you have to make your tackles against Cal. You can't afford to be whiffing on tackles against Cal. You've got to try to limit those yard, those big plays for one thing, but you got to tackle too. I mean, that's you know, obviously it's, it's football, so dur, you got to tackle. But you know what I mean by that? That WSU needs to be better at tackling than they have been in the past. They're not going to be able to get away with that this weekend down in Strawberry Canyon. They're just not going to. It, it Cal will make you pay for those. They made Washington pay. And Washington somehow, as usual, was able to stay in a game where they were totally dominated in every facet. I don't know how the hell they keep doing that. It's kind of making me mad. So that's what you got to do this weekend. But I think at the quarter pull for the year... We're sitting about where we expected Washington State to be. Just they didn't get there in the way you expected them to. Portland State's turning out to be a better and better FCS team. But at the end of the day, it's still an FCS team. You should not lose to them. Maybe North Dakota State, a few others, are you know that kind of acceptable range to lose to. But Portland State wasn't. That's just... A, that I guess that's what's still hanging over me in terms of being more confident in this football team is that they lost to a, a football team who they should have physically dominated. And they didn't. And I'm wondering now, four years into a new football coach, why that isn't happening. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I don't know why it's so hard to turn this around in Pullman. I don't know what it is about this school that makes it so difficult. I don't buy into the... Well, it's in Pullman. It's Pullman. It's hard to do things in Pullman. I don't buy into that. Other teams in similarly isolated areas, maybe not as isolated in Pullman, but isolated, have had success before. Don't tell me Stillwater, Oklahoma is some metropolitan wonderland near the metropolitan wonderland that is Oklahoma City. It's not as if it can't be done, so I'm wondering why it isn't being done. I don't know if it's an issue 
you know, I don't know what the issue is. Maybe it's coaching. Maybe it's recruiting. Maybe the recruiting's not as good as we think it is. Maybe it's, I really don't know. But it's frustrating now in eight years since Bill Doba's been fired that the answer hasn't been found. And it's coming up on a very frustrating decade of football. I don't know what the answer is. But I know that a quarter of the way through this season, they are record-wise where kind of we expected them to be, but not in the way we wanted them to be to get there, if that makes sense. That doesn't make any sense. They didn't get there how we thought they would. And that's what worries me. Oregon State's not very good. The whole Pac-12's down, so at least WSU's got that going for them. If they're going to struggle in a year, this is probably the one to do it. Because you could probably eke out a couple of wins, even not playing your best. Because the Pac-12 is so down. I mean, really down. But it's still, the from the standpoint of, you know, I, it's just, it's hanging over the season. For me, it, that, that loss is still hanging over it. And I know you should move on, I know you should do that, but... I I keep going back to it. If they can't win that football game, what else can they win? I mean, I it, it it's tough to tough to fathom this team really doing anything after losing that game. Not just from the standpoint of you know, you could have been 3 and 0 and one win closer to a bowl game, but it's just I keep going back to see that team that I saw in that football game. I don't care if it was pouring down rain. What the hell happened? They have a good opportunity against Cal this weekend. Cal's a very good football team, but they have weaknesses. They have weaknesses you might be able to exploit. And they need to do it this week. Cal might be looking ahead in their schedule, too. You're coming off a bye week, which, you know, sometimes that's worked out well for Washington State, but under Mike Leach, sometimes it doesn't. But you got a Cal team who might be looking ahead to their trip to Utah next week. This might be an opportunity to steal one in Berkeley. And they probably kind of really need to do it. Speaking of the Cal Golden Bears, Avinash Kunath is coming up next. He'll talk about his California Golden Bears when we return on the Coop Center. Here on the Kook Center Hour, uh, time we took the bye week off with the football team because I think everybody deserves a week off. And uh, we're now going to talk about the Cal Golden Bears, the Bear Raids, Sonny Dykes, Jared Goff, who for my money is probably the best quarterback in the conference, with a man from Cal Golden Blogs and Pacific Takes, Avinash Kunath. Uh, sir, a not bad win over UW last week, but 
pretty statistically dominated the Huskies up at Montlake and didn't really see that result on the scoreboard. Cal did win the football game, but probably not as maybe with as wide a margin of victory as they probably should have with the advantage they had in the box score. and ended up with field goals or turnover on downs. I think they ended up with nine trips inside the Washington 35 and ended up with uh, nine points in those drives, aside from the touchdowns, of course. So there were there were opportunities missed to have a, a really nice game. Yeah, I would say that there was a fumble. There was a fumble that was returned for a touchdown that probably wasn't a fumble. We couldn't really tell. So technically, that was the only thing that kept the game pretty close in the end. Um, but for the most part, Cal dominated that game. And really, Washington only has maybe one chance to come back and score and tie or take the lead. But, I mean, Cal just kept on forcing turnovers, which is something they haven't done in the past. Mm-hmm. Now, they were also without Daniel Lasco last week. Uh, I, I believe your guys' best running back. What's his status for uh, this week uh, against the Cougs in Berkeley? I believe Lasco will play this week. He was available last week. Um, the coaching staff decided to keep him out because they let Vic and Weary take most of the carries and just kept Lasko available in case of emergency. Mm-hmm. But I think he had, he had his helmet on, he had his pads on, he was ready to go. He's fully practicing this week. Um, I expect him to play. I don't know how much he'll play, but I expect him to get ready because there's a big game coming up the week afterwards, and he needs to definitely be ready for those games. Joined by Avinash Kunath from Cal Golden Blogs at Pacific Takes, talking about the Golden Bears. Uh, so far, so good this year. Uh, undefeated as the Cougs head down to the Bay Area this weekend. Uh, pretty much been seeing everything you really want to see out of this team so far this year. Is there still things that kind of leave something to be desired? I got to think 4-0 and and ranked for the first time in a number of years uh, is leaving a lot of folks pretty satisfied at this point. had to go through the last, I don't know, five years. Yeah, I know. Tell me about it. Since 2010, so you just want to you just want to take the wins and get out and move on to next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 4-0 is so great. Like, and, the, and the cool thing about being 4-0 is we haven't really played a really good game. Like, we have played probably, at best, maybe a B-plus game here and there. And we've been very consistent in our wins, and we haven't really finished the team's off, we've given up leads, and we've kind of had good moments and bad moments, and somehow we're still 4-0, so that's a really positive sign that we can build on that momentum and still end up with victories. All I hear is, uh, that's just, I, I would love for have that feeling right now, but we don't, sadly. Uh, Jared Goff, as I said earlier, um, for my money, probably the best quarterback uh, in the conference uh, when you consider his age. And just how prodigious he is at throwing the football. I mean, the kid is just an awesome, awesome quarterback. It's It's been a lot of fun to watch him develop from freshman Jared Goff, where, you know, a little more turnover prone, not quite as good, obviously, into this junior Jared Goff, where the dude can just make pretty much every throw he needs to make uh, in that Bear Raid offense. I mean, he was really special as a freshman. Mm-hmm. He, um, he was doing things that he was making throws that I've never seen any quarterback make as a, as a junior or a senior since Aaron Rodgers. And even Rodgers, I mean, he was still he was still a developmental guy. And 
college. Like he was, he was really good, but he he wasn't probably the complete package that Goff is at this point in terms of productivity. And to be fair, Goff has better receivers than Rodgers did. Mm-hmm. But um, the thing with Jared is he's really he's really gained a command of the offense in the sense that he knows what defenses are, where they are. He can read them. He can. He has a good idea to diagnose and audible the line of scrimmage, and yeah. he's wheeling and dealing like he is. He is guiding teams down the field with pretty, um, re- uh, regular, pretty regular pace, and he has just not been. He has just not had that much to deal with yet. I mean, Washington was the, probably the first big defense he faced, and I mean he he, he passed. He had a sixty percent completion rate and. There were some very difficult throws and to very tough windows. Like Washington is probably going to be the toughest defense we face in the Pac-12 this year, and uh, golf, golf just got it through in the end. Yep. No, I know a lot of folks uh, who are fans of the team in Pullman like to brag about the wide receiving core. I certainly do. I think it's um, one of the most talented in the conference, if not up there in that top two, but or, or top three. But Cal's got a lot of really talented receivers as well, which helps make as you mentioned, Jared Goff's life a lot easier uh, in that he has a lot of guys to throw to who happen to be really good at catching and running with the football. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Cal has probably one of the best wide receivers in the country in Kenny Lawler. Mm-hmm. Um, Lawler is pretty much someone who can go up and catch anything you give it to him. Uh, his catch rate is pretty incredible. You could saw it in the Texas game where he just went up and got footballs that golf just lofted up to the heavens and Waller somehow went up and found them. They have Trevor Davis, who you probably remember had a nice game in Pullman last year. Yeah. He was a, just, just a speedster, someone who can stretch the defense vertically. And then they have Bryce Treg, who's very versatile, who can play in the slot and run the outside routes. And they have uh, Steven Anderson, who just is the third down security blanket, who catches everything. And then Darius Powell is like fifth option. Maurice Harris is your sixth option. I mean, they have a really talented and deep core that just gives defenses all sorts of headaches. So is there any, like, you know, the this offense sounds like it can move pretty well here. Is there anything the Washington State defense can do, which is, you know, it, it's it's kind of got – it's on a big learning curve right now. There's still a lot to to do for this defense to really improve and to be up to the level Coug fans want to see it. Is there anything that Wazoo defense can do to kind of exploit the Cal offense? Because so far it just kind of seems like this, you know, unstoppable machine you can only really hope to slow down occasionally. I mean, the Cal offense actually hasn't probably been as explosive as we would have liked it to be. Uh, it's only scoring 30 points against Washington, 35 points against San Diego State. And a lot of that comes down to the offensive line, which uh, – it's had its struggles, um, especially the, especially the tackle position. We don't have a lot of great offensive tackles who can pass protect, so Goff has to kind of improvise and get the ball out pretty quickly. So that kind of limits how deep we can go with the football if we're not facing a, um, a defense that – if we're facing a defense that can rush the passer. So that, that kind of limits our big playability. Um, I'm hoping Lasko coming back will help with that. Um, but Cal does have – does have some offensive issues in the sense that they cannot, you know, keep the pocket open for too long or otherwise their golf will get hit a lot and mm-hmm. they have to get that ball out as quickly as possible. So that does limit our big play ability. So that if a team can keep us in, if a team is good like Washington that can keep them in front of 
of them and not like give up this big play, then yeah, that that can kind of limit our offense in that sense. We'll move now to the Cal defense. Uh, last year's display in Pullman was not a compliment on either defense, quite frankly. 60-59, to 59, that final score in favor of the Golden Bears. Uh, not really, you know, if you liked offense and kick returns, that was a great game to watch. Uh, Connor Halliday set an FBS record for passing yards. Jared Goff also looked really good in that game. Defensively for Cal, are things better this year, or has there been a, a test good enough you know, to kind of measure this team. I know Texas came back late in the fourth quarter of that game before, again, Cal got a little good karma on a late kick, but it, has Cal's defense improved since their trip to Pullman, or are they still kind of a work in progress like WSU's defense? Uh, this will be the first real test. Um, I think the first month of the season, we didn't really we didn't really play a conventional offense. I mean, Texas did run all over us, but I don't think anyone thought that Ger- Gerard Hurd was going to be that good. Yeah. So, I don't know. There was, not, there was not a lot of tape on him, so the Bears had a defense and heard of immediately scrapped it. So they, they were just kind of running around with their heads chopped off for most of the second half, and we had a couple guys injured during that game too. So, um, But, yeah, for the most part, the first half, of the first four games of the season, Cal's defense has played better. They've played much better than any, any point in the Sunny Degs era. Um, they've, they've limited big plays. They've kept away. They've kept – um, those 30, 40-yard touchdowns that we saw against Wazoo last year from happening on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think I think they're better. I don't know how much better. They've played, they've played some pretty weak offenses to begin the year, so this is probably going to be the first real test to face a team that pretty much knows um, the, off, the, the, uh, the defense that we're playing, like Washington State probably has a good idea of what Cal's offense is. So yeah. they're going to be they're going to be doing their best to find all the weak spots in it. Evan Ash Kunath from Cal Golden Blogs at Pacific Takes joining us to talk about the Cal Golden Bears. And I think one of the strengths, the probably the most underrated strength for Wazoo's offense, for me anyway, is the offensive line. A lot of po- folks point to the raw sack numbers and say, well, they're not doing as well as they did last year. But the problem is Luke Falk's been hanging around knitting sweaters back there and they're still pass protecting uh, arguably better than just about any offensive line uh, in the conference. Is Cal's defensive line something that's going to give WSU's offensive line fits? Or is this, you know, the defense obviously making improvements, as you pointed out, but is the defensive line capable of getting through consistently an offensive line with five guys who are all returning from last year? Uh, uh, probably not. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. Um, against Washington, but Washington has three freshmen on their offensive line, so you can't really make much of that. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't suspect they'd have a big game. I mean, we have some good. We have some good talent up there, but they're either they either get hurt all the time or they they just they kind of wander from inconsistent to consistent. We have Kyle Cragen, who has come back probably is our best pass rusher, but um, only had a big a big game this week and. Yeah, for the most part, I don't think Cal is going to generate a huge pass rush. They're going to have, they're going to be playing a base defense for the most part and sitting back and trying to force turnovers, which has been their specialty this year. Mm-hmm. Now you talked before we started recording our interview here. You talked to me about uh, the game coming up this week, and you said you were nervous. You said you were a little worried about the game coming up this week. 
why are you worried about a football team that lost to an FCS team and beat two of the worst FBS teams in the country? What's there to worry about uh, with Wazoo when they come to uh, – Stra- is it Strawberry Valley or Strawberry – what's the valley that uh, that uh, Memorial Stadium's in? Re- refresh my memory. Strawberry Canyon. Strawberry Canyon, thank you. Strawberry so, Canyon. Yeah, what, so what worries you about – um, this football team that I guess, to me anyway, hasn't really proved anything to anybody so far this year. Uh, well, I mean, there are a couple things. Uh, Washington State obviously has probably not played that well yet, so they know that this is probably their game. They know if they don't win this game, it's going to be very hard to make a bowl game mm-hmm. because the schedule will get really hard starting, I think, in three weeks, so they need to get their wins now. Yeah. So I think they'll go out and play with a real sense of urgency and throw out much of their playbook like they did last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, this, this, this offense matches up really poorly against their defense because they they run the same things. They know all our tricks. They know how to find the soft spot in the zones. I mean, Cal's going to play it close up. Um, but this defense still isn't, hasn't proven anything, so you don't know exactly what they're capable of. Mm-hmm. And the last two years, like Washington State has shredded Cal's defense. So regardless of how good they are or how bad they are, they have been able to put up points. And when you can put up points, you can beat anyone. So all it takes is just a few turnovers here and there, and all of a sudden you have an upset brewing. And I think Cal will be looking ahead to Utah a little bit because they know that could be an undefeated versus undefeated matchup, and they don't want to give away too much of their stuff. So they're going to play – they might play a little bit down compared to how they've been playing, and I, I feel like there's a chance for an upset here if Wazoo brings their A game. Well, the good news is Wazoo's been playing to the level of their opponent all year, so if Cal's playing down, WSU will probably play down, as previous evidence had suggested. You're you're a little worried about an upset, but give me your uh, prediction for Saturday, how things turn out. WSU's coming off a bye week. They've had a little extra rest. Uh, Cal did have to play in Seattle last weekend, so they'll round out, finish playing the state of Washington this weekend. Give me uh, your prediction for a final score uh, when the w- final whistle's blown at about well, two air raid teams, so about 5 o'clock, a four-hour game on Saturday. I think Cal's going to win, but I think it's going to be very, very close. I think it'd be probably a three-point win, maybe even less than that, because I just don't feel like the Bears have played up to their potential yet. They haven't closed the game. They haven't... They haven't finished the game against the big, big power five opponent. Mm-hmm. Um, they let Washington off the hook. They let Texas off the hook, and they nearly blew both of those games. So that kind of gives me the sense that Washington State will either start fast and take a big lead, and Cal will have to come back, or Cal will take a lead and then slowly let the Cougars back into it as they as they start passing all over the field. So I think it's going to be probably in the forties, maybe a forty. 42 victory for Cal, and I could see Washington State pulling it out if they if they if Blue Falk gets it together and starts throwing much faster on the ball. But I think it's gonna be a close game. I think it's gonna be just as fun as last year. Well, as long as nobody misses a kick to lose a game again this year, my liver and heart can take it. Avinash Kunate from Cal Golden Blogs and Pacific Takes. Thank you for joining us, sir. Ah, thank you.
We're back here in the Kook Center Hour, and uh, we need to have a little chat about what in the name of everything that is holy happened in the Pac-12 last weekend. I mean, I I wasn't around to watch the games, as I've said before. I was at a wedding, and yes, I know weddings in football season should be verboten, but the bride and groom aren't football fans, so you'll forgive them. I... I, I don't need to have watched the games because virtually everyone that was of consequence to the uh, the traditional powers in the Pac-12 was an absolute, utter, and complete blowout. I thought Arizona was up and coming, and UCLA went to Tucson and dismantled them. USC went into Tempe, an ASU team that had been struggling a little bit this year, but was a... Not popular pick to win the Pac-12 South, but at least some people thought they could do it, and USC dismantled them. And perhaps, most surprising of all, no matter how bad you thought they might be this year compared to last year, Utah went in to Eugene and absolutely smacked the crap out of the Oregon Ducks. Absolutely destroyed them by six touchdowns. <laughs> it just... How does that happen? How does that happen? The back 12 is down this year, that's for sure, and I think we're now definitely finding out that there is going to be a lot more parity in this league than we thought, perhaps. Stanford took care of business against Oregon State. Cal took care of business against the U of Dub. And that's pretty much all the winners we expected this weekend. Maybe you expected UCLA and USC to win their respective games. I certainly don't think you expected them to win it in the way in which they did by utterly and completely dominating their opponent. Arizona's got a new Solomon. They're, he's a good quarterback. They got a decent defense too. And UCLA walked all over them. USC went into Tempe to play an ASU team that I I thought was going to be better than they were this year. And they absolutely stomped them. UCLA went into Tucson and won by 26, and USC won by a few touchdowns as well. I I just, how how do you predict that after that? What do you even make of the Pac-12 other than the fact that USC and the the game between USC and UCLA is probably going to decide who wins the Pac-12 championship because I don't see anybody from the Pac-12 North being able to stand up to them. Stanford did what they should do against Oregon State, but that team's not going to beat USC or UCLA in the championship. So, what? It was just the most bonkers weekend, I think, of Pac-12 football that I can remember in quite some time. Only two games really turned out how you thought they were going to. You expected the other ones to be a lot closer. And maybe you thought Utah would go into or, or go into Eugene and beat the Ducks. But each of those games, the one in Tempe, the one in Tucson, the one in Eugene, all were just laughers. All of them. And I don't know if it speaks to the parody of the Pac-12 or whether... They're just getting worse, but there is going to be more parity in the league. That's for sure now. But let's talk a little bit more about the one that I think really shocked everybody. 
There's no doubt Oregon's not as good of a football team this year. And I don't think there was any doubt from anybody going into this season that they were probably not going to contend for a national title and that they were probably going to have a tough time getting back to just a Rose Bowl. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I don't think anybody thought that this team was at nearly the level they were last year without now Marcus Mariota. But I don't think anybody expected this. I don't think anybody expected Utah, who's a good football team, but not this world beater, to go into Autzen Stadium and absolutely smack the Ducks around. I, I there's just I I cert I there was no way I could have predicted that. Utah's a good football team. Travis Wilson's a decent quarterback. Devontae Booker's one of the best running backs in the conference, if not the best. And they have a good defense. But that came out of nowhere. Out of absolutely nowhere. I mean, at least WSU has a decency to be awful at football when they get beat that badly by other teams. (laughs) Oregon drops straight out of the top 25. And they look like a very beatable football team they don't look like the Oregon of old and this is a year where finally Washington you can break your losing streak to them I mean the game's in Seattle and Oregon's coming up to face a pretty good UW defense and a not so great offense but Oregon's defense is just atrocious. It's the Maginot line of defenses. I think WSU next week, no matter what happens against Cal next week, WSU next week could have a better offensive week against Oregon than they do this week against Cal. I think we kind of thought that getting into the Pac-12 schedule, the defenses were going to get tougher, but these first two weeks, it's just not going to. Oregon's defense is atrocious. I could argue worse than WSU's at this point. And that takes some doing. They are awful. And I don't know how this, I I really don't know how this happened, but maybe it really was Nick Aliotti's retirement really affected them in more ways than I could imagine. That defense is just not nearly what it was even just last year. I know they lost Ifo Ekpre Olamu, and I know they lost a couple of other really key defenders, but that defense went from decent to atrocious in one season. And the offense still moves the ball okay, but my God, they are just not scoring like they used to. Eastern Washington even gave them a run for their money a few weeks ago. So I think the most shocking result of the weekend in the conference still has to be the fact that Oregon played a good Utah team and didn't just lose to them, didn't just get defeated by them, but got absolutely roundly kicked in the behind at home to them. And I know that a lot of people had fun drinking up those Oregon tears. I know I certainly did. But that, nobody could have seen that coming. Absolutely nobody could have seen that coming the ferocity of that loss, and I mean just how fury, fury as that loss was, 
was incredible. And it may have shifted the balance of power in the Pac-12 for a while. I don't see... I Now, after that game, you can't see Oregon pulling out of this nosedive. And there's a chance they could go 7-5, and 8-4 and four this year. And for a team that was in the national championship game against Ohio State last year, that's unfathomable. Completely unfathomable. Even without your Heisman Trophy winner. It's completely bonkers to think that a team that did that last year could fall to 7-5, and 8-4. and four. But it's not out of the question. It really isn't. If Oregon's going to lose that badly to Utah, I don't think there's a team in the Pac-12 North other than maybe Oregon State they can really look at and say, yeah, we're definitely going to kick their butt. I don't think there is one. UW may finally lose by less than 21 to them. There's nobody they can take lightly anymore. That, for me, was the most, you know, UCLA kicking Arizona's butt and USC kicking AZ State's butt was certainly surprising. But that Utah game, I I think everybody's jaw was on the floor. And the Pac-12, the traditional power structure, at least in the north, is over. Oregon's not on top of the hill anymore. Unless they make one hell of a turnaround here at some point, but I don't think anybody sees that coming. We get back a little short an hour this week. We're going to do Dunderhead of the Week and ask Michael anything here on the Cook Center. Let's go Dunderhead of the week time and uh, talked about this in the intro. My wife and I were in Las Vegas for a couple of days. I had been in a couple of years. It's been a while, way too long for me to go between uh, Las Vegas trips. And uh, I, I guess my, my pretty general rule about Las Vegas is, you know, it's it's acceptable to ask people, you know, like, if, if you know them, you know, if, if, uh, if I'm your friend and we, we are acquainted with each other, it's generally okay sometimes to ask, oh, you went to Vegas? How'd you make out? Like, you know, how'd you do with the tables? Whatever. And if someone gives you, doesn't give you a specific number or doesn't want to, that's fine. They don't have to do that. But I, I you know, how'd you do with the tables? You know, it's kind of a standard Vegas question for someone you know, right? My wife and I were having a dinner at a steakhouse in the Venetian on Sunday night. We had some gift cards uh, that I wanted to use, and steak was really good. But inside the bar in the steakhouse, there were a bunch of guys watching the Sunday night football game between the Broncos and the Lions. And these guys, you know, we're in the Venetian in a steakhouse in the Venetian. It's pretty obvious these dudes have put a lot of money on the game, probably. 
And every time Denver does something good, they are cheering. And I think the line was like minus three for Denver. It was Denver minus three. And it was a pretty tight game, if I recall correctly, towards the end. But there was one guy sitting in the bar area. One guy sitting in the bar area who was rooting for the Lions. And one guy. And he was being super, he was like going up to the bar, cheering for the Lions with these five dudes who were cheering for the Broncos. Now that's not the rude part. The rude part is when the game ended, the bet on the Broncos paid out. Minus three to the Broncos paid out. What this guy did was he asked five strangers, hey, how much money did you guys put on the game? And this one guy kind of looks at him and goes, thousand bucks, dude. Sit down and eat your dinner. And the guy kind of looked at him like, you know, with the, that was kind of rude face. I go, it's not rude. It's not rude for him to tell you to sit down and shut up. You don't know him. Why are you asking him how much money he spent on betting on a football game? Especially when you could see that he and his friends were not rooting with you. They were not rooting for the same thing to happen. Why would you do that? Why would you ask someone that question? That is the rudest thing I can think of. Probably not the rudest thing I can think of, but it's up there. I'm sure there's a lot of other rude crap you can do in Vegas. But that, the, what, the, the shocked face he had on his face of, oh, well, why would they, why would they tell me to do that if I asked them that question? Because you were being a butthead. You were being a jackass. Who asks people that question? Even our waiter was, he had walked by right when that happened and I kind of looked at him and he goes, yeah, this guy's been in here a few times and I can't stand him. <laughs> I, I hardly even ask my friends how much money they put on games. Like if I'm in Vegas with friends and you want to put money on a game, you put money on a game. I don't really care how much money you put on it. If we make the same bet, maybe we'll chat about it or I'll see your betting slip. But oh my God, I never, ever, ever ask a stranger. You never ask a stranger how much money they bet on a sporting event. It's easy at a table to say how much money they're betting. It's in friggin' chips. Oh my God. Drove me up a wall. Ask Michael anything. Let's do it. At jdanner96, Jeff Danner, Michael, who wins in a fight? A trained monkey with a knife or a brown bear? Now, these are the questions. Ooh, okay. We got to think about this one because a brown bear, but like a male brown bear probably weighs about like what? 500 pounds. Actually, let's look that up right now. Brown bear weight. A brown bear weighs, uh, Eurasian brown bear weighs between 500 and... 80 and 780 pounds and a grizzly bear adult male weighs between 400 and 790 pounds so let's say he weighs about 700 pounds i got a trained monkey with a knife or a brown bear now the monkey's pretty agile he can get around he can climb up trees quicker than the brown bear you know uh and he can he can get into tight little spaces if they're running around the forest i would still have to go with the brown bear because you know the likelihood of the of the monkey actually being able to like get in and actually finish the bear off with the knife 
is still pretty low because the I mean the bear is huge and all he's got to do is hit the monkey once with his big claws and his big ass paw to finish the monkey right I mean that's all he's got to do or he's gonna sit on it I would probably have to go with the bear I mean it'd have to be like multiple trained monkeys with multiple knives to be able to defeat the bear at West Coast by Slevin A. Kelly, you got one Apple Cup to win. What quarterback, running back, and wide receiver from WSU history do you start? I start Drew Bledsoe, I start Jerome Harrison, and I start Brandon Gibson, but that's recency bias on my part because Brandon Gibson was just a fantastic wide receiver. That's who I would go with. Those three guys right there. Let's go with another question. Final one from uh, at Britain Rants, at BK Ransford, Britain Ransford, our old friend. Favorite scene in a movie all time, and this is an easy answer for me. It's got to be the scene in Blazing Saddles uh, where the sheriff rides into town for the first time. It's got to be where Bart rides into this rides into the city for the first time. The whole the uh, the absurdity of the whole scene and the way in which everything is done. Every time I watch it, I laugh. Every time. I mean, that movie is a classic, but every time I watch that movie and that scene. I, I get doubled over laughing. They're, that movie's full of so many great scenes that are just so subtle, including the raisin and when Headley Lamar runs into the theater with the raisinets. That's funny as well, too. Cal 52, Washington State 35. Just can't see the defense doing enough this weekend, guys. We'll see you next week here on the Coop Center Hour.